Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Water Cooler. I'm Sophie Mann, sitting in once again for David Brody while he enjoys some well-deserved time off. If you think you know where David is or want to give us your best guess, email us at thewatercooler at justthenews.com. He could literally be anywhere right now. My guess, he's at the Dancing with the Stars open casting call. Anyway, it's Thursday, June 17th, 2021, and we're going to begin the show with some breaking news on the 2020 presidential election in Georgia, an exclusive Just the News headline from this morning reads, Georgia audit documents expose significant election failures in state's largest county. Just the News editor-in-chief John Solomon and Daniel Payne broke the news this morning as Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger announced that his office is opening an investigation into whether Fulton County officials violated state law in their handling of absentee ballots. Make sure you check out the site tomorrow as well. I believe it is the case that even more astonishing news is in the pipeline. Plus, the House passed a bill yesterday officially declaring Juneteenth Day a federal national holiday. That's on June 19th. President Joe Biden is set to sign the bill into law just a little bit later this afternoon. And finally, this season of Supreme Court decision-making is almost up, and today the high court dropped two big new decisions that those who pay attention to this type of thing have been eagerly awaiting. First, the court rejected a challenge to the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, and then nine justices unanimously ruled that a Catholic foster agency was exempt from local laws forbidding discrimination against same-sex couples. Here to break down these results and more, I'm thrilled to welcome back to the program Professor Emeritus of Law at Harvard University and host of the Der Show podcast, in addition to being the author of the new book, The Case Against the New Censorship, Alan Dershowitz. Alan, good afternoon. Afternoon. Pleasure to have you here. So let's get right into these two big cases that, as I mentioned, the high court just ruled on today. Let's first start with uh, the Affordable Care Act ACA decision. What do you make of it? Well, it's not a decision on the merits. It's a decision that says that the people who brought the lawsuit don't have standing. It was a way to avoid, once again, uh, deciding whether or not the Affordable Care Act is uh, substantively constitutional. It would wreak havoc with people's insurance if the Supreme Court were to strike the statute down. So the court is going to look for every possible way to avoid deciding that issue. And they have now, for the third time, figured out a way of doing it. Um, it's basically a message being sent to litigants, don't bring the case again. It's there. It's the statute. People are covered. People are insured. We're going to go out of our way to make sure that there is no ruling that undoes expectations about insurance. So this issue is essentially resolved politically for uh, Americans. So do you think with this decision, the Supreme Court has, in fact, effectively washed their hands of dealing with Obamacare moving forward? 
I do. I think there may be issues around the periphery which come before the court. But as to the central issue, the Supreme Court has now decided, including uh, many of the Trump uh, nominees uh, and Republican nominees. So it's not a partisan issue. This is not something if they get another uh, Republican nominee uh, four years from now or three years from now, that's going to change anything. I think this is this is pretty well settled. Right. It does seem like the makeup of the court doesn't seem to be impacting their decisions when it comes to Obamacare very much. Let's move on to the next case. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously on this one for a Catholic uh, foster agency that declined to work with same-sex couple foster parents, um, which violated some local rules. Uh, the, the court ruled unanimously in favor of the agency. Some people are saying this is a big deal win for um, religious freedom movements. What do you think? Yeah, I think religious freedom is going to continue to win in front of this Supreme Court. This was unanimous. There'll be other cases that'll be six to three. This tells us how the Supreme Court's going to decide the cake case. It will clearly decide in favor of the cake um, uh, company uh, refusal to bake a cake that was designed to uh, either promote or encourage either gay marriage or transgender. Um, it's going to favor the right of the cake maker as an artist uh, to not make a cake that uh, violates uh, his uh, religious principles. Um, I don't understand those religious principles. Uh, Christianity uh, is much more opposed to, for example, divorce than it is opposed to gay marriage or to uh, transgender. But uh, no uh, cake maker is ever going to refuse to make a cake for a divorced couple or uh, a cake that somehow promotes divorce. So, you know, people pick and choose their religious beliefs. But the Supreme Court's going to support and favor religious belief over uh, civil rights. I think that's clear. I'm not suggesting I support that. You're asking me as a lawyer what I predict. And I predict the Supreme Court, not necessarily nine to nothing in future cases, but uh, six to three and uh, perhaps five to four in some cases, will support religious freedom uh, and religious exercise over uh, general civil rights, except perhaps in extreme cases. Right. So, I mean, it's an interesting juxtaposition because here you have this one case where you're saying the uh, Obamacare case where you're saying the court will, in your estimation, not be hearing any more cases like this one. But then on the other hand, we have this religious freedom case where it is sort of, uh, you know, more fundamental Christians and um, people of that sort of denomination going up against the LGBTQ community. And despite the fact that over and over again, the court seems to be ruling in their favor, your prediction is that cases like this will continue to be brought. Is that correct? I mean, you know, we already saw the, the first cake baker, and now we have another one maybe scheduled to go on the docket. Is there some reason that one of these sets of issues continues to be litigated and relitigated, but the other is able to be put to bed? Yeah, I think the Supreme Court has sent the message that they are welcoming cases involving religious freedom, but they're, they're, they've had it with Obamacare. And I think lawyers get messages. You know, we don't like to bring frivolous cases. We like to win, not lose. And so um, I think we've seen the end of Obamacare cases, the large Obamacare cases, but we'll see lots and lots of religious free exercise cases. 
Right. So, I mean, moving on a little bit to the general composition of the court, one thing that we've been seeing a lot of um, the past couple of months, I think, uh, to some people's surprise, is the especially far-left faction of the Democratic Party beginning to publicly call for Justice Stephen Breyer to retire from the court so that uh, President Biden is able to appoint a new justice before his, uh, you know, first term runs up so as to avoid uh, precisely the situation that they ran into with the untimely for them passing of uh, Justice Ginsburg early last fall. What do you make of this? It's, it's outrageous. It politicizes the Supreme Court. It's wrong. It's not just the hard left. It's um, even center left uh, and mostly academics. Look, I've known Steve Breyer for, what, 55 years. We clerked for the same justice of the Supreme Court. I recommended him to the Harvard Law Faculty. We worked together with Ted Kennedy on civil rights legislation for many years. I promoted him for the Supreme Court. I pushed his nomination with President Clinton. Uh, he's been a great justice, and he should stay on as long as his health permits him to. He and I are exactly the same age. Steve's a month older than I am. Uh, he's in health. He rides his bike all the time. He should stay on the court. He shouldn't be pressured by academics to leave the court and politicize the court. Uh, it will then turn uh, nominations to the court into, you know, how healthy are you? How long are you going to stay? Maybe at some point we should have term limits for justices. But right now, the Constitution provides for good behavior, which means lifetime appointments. And justices shouldn't be retiring or timing their retirements in order to maximize the chances that their political party will get uh, more appointments. That was just the wrong way to approach things. Well, so you say that, uh, you know, his retirement would politicize the court. And uh, with you, I agree on that point. However, I think that, you know, to a degree, the court has simply already become politicized. And, uh, you know, the results of that are, are a lot of what we see going on in Congress, in the Senate, in the discussion about appointing new judges. Do you think that that is sort of, um, you know, a train that can be stopped? Or is it a runaway at that point, at this point, regardless of whether or not Justice Breyer uh, retires at the hands of the Democratic Party or not? Yeah. And let's put the blame exactly where it belongs. It belongs exactly in the Republican Party. They stole a nomination from uh, President Obama. They stole the Merrick Garland nomination. Uh, it should have gone forward. Garland should have been on the Supreme Court. And they, they started this whole political issue. Look, you can go back to Bork. You can go back to others. But it was the Garland theft of a nomination to the Supreme Court that resulted in all this issue about timing. So... If anybody is to blame, it's the Republican leadership, the refusal to grant a hearing even to Merrick Garland. Garland would have been a great Supreme Court justice. I think he's a great uh, nominee to uh, for uh, attorney general. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. At one point, President Trump called me and asked me who I thought he should put on the Supreme Court. This was for his first nomination. Mm -hmm. And I said, easy, put Merrick Garland on the court. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, that, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. Now let's get serious. And um at that point, of course, he put um, uh, he, he put uh, Kavanaugh on the court. I have to apologize to everybody for I look like I just got out of a barroom brawl. I um, uh, eating chocolate the other day and haven't had a chance to get it fixed yet. You know so what? It's totally fine. Uh, the Supreme Court, as we know, is a contentious issue. So I'm sure some bar brawls will be happening around the country. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, we really appreciate hearing from you. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back in just a minute with more water cooler. See you in a sec. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. 
Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to the Water Cooler. I want to briefly remind everybody that this upcoming Monday, June 21st at 3 p.m., David is going to have former President Donald Trump on the show. It's going to be a great interview. Definitely don't miss it. That's right here on Real America's Voice. Again, Monday, June 21st, 3 p.m. I'm sure that they will be discussing the thing that we're about to get into right now, which is the U.S. southern border and the flood of illegal migrants that, t- that continue to cross. Uh, So the issue is prevalent and not a peep out of the White House. It has, in fact, been so long without a meaningful response from the executive branch to the crisis on the border that heads of states are taking matters into their own hands in totally new ways. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, for instance, has allocated $250 million plus to building his state a border wall all of its own since the uh, the administration refuses to do so. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently announced that he will send officers from his state to Texas and Arizona to help control the overwhelming surge. This afternoon, I want to bring in someone who knows firsthand exactly what's going on on the country's border and what's being done about the issues. Former Sheriff of Maricopa County, Joe Arpaio. Sheriff, good afternoon. Good. I'm glad you're having the President Trump on. He's been my hero from day one. Yes, we're, we're, we're thrilled to have him as well, and uh, Brody's going to kill it with him, so everybody tune in. But, Sheriff, let's talk about what's going on at the border right now. I mean, you're in the ground on Arizona. Give us the latest. Give us the update. How, how does the border look, and how are sort of a surrounding towns and law enforcement offices responding? Well, you know, you have, sometimes you have to go back in history to lay the groundwork what's happening today. 20 years they've been... Uh, uh, fighting the border, always going down to the border. I'm talking about congressional people. They never do anything. Every time there's an election, they run down there and stand in front of the uh, chicken fence. Uh, of course, uh, Donald Trump, and after I covered the border 38 years as a top guy in Mexico and Texas, and Arizona, I can go on and on. Um, I see the same movie. Uh, right. Action has to be taken. I'm glad to see the uh, Texas governor uh, come into Arizona or sending some troops here, police, and also uh, Florida. Uh, Ron DeSantis is doing a great job. In fact, I endorsed him, big endorsement, several years ago, and I'm very proud of what he's doing. I'm proud that uh, he's fighting this uh, border problem, and I'm proud he's uh, supporting the president. So you have to have people to have the guts to get out there and tell it like it is. So right now with Biden, we have a little problem. Uh, Donald Trump set the uh, policy last four years, and now, unfortunately, it seems to be that the uh, his policies are going down the tube. Uh, but yet, you know that local law enforcement can take the uh, enforce these laws. I went through it. Of course, I was charged with contempt of court by some biased judge for enforcing the illegal uh, laws uh, against immigration. And I have the authority to do that. I'm the elected sheriff. I report to the people. So I think the sheriffs and other people, backed by the governors, should get out there and and enforce these laws and don't keep worrying about the federal laws. 
Right. I mean, I, I think I think I think a lot of governors are beginning to agree with you in sort of taking on a new meaning of federalism. Uh, Sheriff, can you explain a little bit to the viewers just how bad the crisis on the ground looks? I mean, the reporting that we're hearing, some of the videos that we're seeing from Congress people and uh, others is just shocking and overwhelming. Can you give us a sense of what it looks like on the ground? Well, it's uh, kind of overflowing. Uh, Biden put up tents, uh, and he went after me on my tents. But mm -hmm. uh, he spent uh, $130 million putting kids uh, in, in tents. That was a big argument he made during the campaign. All the Democrats made a big campaign issue out of that. Here they're doing it. So um, there's an overflow of people coming in our country. They're putting these people in uh, hotel uh, rooms. Uh, and, and a lot of situations that are happening. The vice president, Harris, uh, I don't know what deal she made, you know, having worked in Mexico and meeting presidents and so on. I think I know their thinking. And uh, she, I, I think, made with, uh, met with the president, met with the Mexican president. Mm -hmm. So what happened in that meeting? Why is it a secret meeting? Did the president of Mexico tell her stay away from the border i'd like to know that i'd like to know why she did not go down to the border i think it's more interesting that aspect than saying that well she didn't have the guts to face the media and so on i think it's deeper than that so we ought to start looking and see what they did in mexico city other than eating tacos or whatever they do up there Right. So, Sheriff, explain that a little bit. You're theorizing here that uh, the vice president was told by these Northern Triangle leaders that they were content with her performance at the border. They don't want to see the United States uh, shore up the border at all. Is, is that correct? Well, I don't know what the meeting was. How can you meet with the president and then fly over the border? She could have made a stop at the border. Did the president of Mexico ask her, please don't go to the border? You're going to cause more controversy, we'll take care of you. Now, I'm not saying that's right. If they made a great deal, like Trump usually does, okay, there's a reasons for doing things, political reasons, and that's what this is all about also. So I want to know what happened in Mexico City, period, why she skipped the border. Sure. I mean, that is interesting. Let's circle back to the discussion of governors for just one moment. We have just about a minute left. Sheriff, how do you think the Arizona governor's doing? I mean, we know that DeSantis and Abbott are clearly way out in front of this issue. We haven't heard so much from Governor Doug Ducey. What are your thoughts? Well, Doug Ducey's the governor. He does what he thinks right. In fact, I uh, supported him when he ran the first time. Uh, and he's a, he's a big guy for the economy. Give him credit for that. And he has a task force, I know, because I was a sheriff and helped him form that task force at the border with the Department of Public Safety. Uh, so it's a very volatile situation. You got the virus situation out of the economy, mm -hmm. and you got all these people flowing into uh, our country. Most of them come here to work, but there's a lot of thieves and murderers and other people taking advantage of Biden's uh, policies, and they're coming in. I wonder how many have disease. I mean, I've been saying for years, all these uh, uh, illegals crossing into our country, do they ever check them out? I want to get into yeah. the swine flu. It, it is interesting. And these are questions that I think a lot of people have and continue to have. So, Sheriff, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, giving us your insight on the continuing crisis at 
the United States southern border. We'll be back in just a few minutes and we'll be taking you again down to Texas where a new gun law is in effect that makes it easier for people to walk around with their handguns. We'll be right back after a quick break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everyone. Just yesterday, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas signed a piece of legislation that will allow residents of the state to carry handguns in public without obtaining licenses or training. The measure allows individuals 21 years of age and older who legally possess firearms to carry handguns in public places without permits. The law will formally take effect on the 1st of September of this year. Texas has now joined a number of other Republican-led states that have passed some form of a permitless gun-carrying law uh, over the course of the past legislative session. Here now to discuss that trend is the editor of Gunpowder Magazine, Teresa Mull. Teresa, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great to be with you. Good to have you here. So talk to us a little bit about the law that we're seeing go into effect in Texas uh, in the next couple of months. Right. So like you said, um, this policy makes it so that law-abiding Americans do not have to ask the government permission before they exercise their Second Amendment rights. And this is a big win for Texas and for America in general. Constitutional carry has been working in 20 states. It has been working for years. And we know that it's a winning policy. And for Texas to adopt constitutional carry is huge. Texas is a big state. It has tons of gun owners. And it's, it has, you know, vast land. So. Um, Texas is able now to prove what other states have been showing for years, and that is that constitutional carry is smart policy. It saves uh, government resources, time, energy, it saves taxpayer money, and most importantly, it makes Americans safer. So this is a big step in the right direction uh, for the momentum that we've seen gun rights making in this past. Right. I mean, yeah, I think, and again, as I mentioned, this is sort of one of a number of bills that have been, uh, you know, funneled through state legislatures around the country as it pertains to Second Amendment rights. So what do you make of the trend? I mean, is this something that all red state governors are trying to get aboard with? Does it reflect sort of a, a new American um, verve for gun ownership? I mean, it never really went away, but we have seen uh, purchasing numbers go up dramatically over the past year. So what do you think the trend lines here are? Right. I, I think that trends are really positive for gun owners. Uh, this is the Texas has become the fourth state this year alone, and that's a record-setting uh, number for states to adopt constitutional carry in one year. And Texas being such a leader and so influential in the United States, you know, this is making headlines all over the world. I saw the BBC reporting on this as if, you know, I we spoke about this before, as if Texas is some wild west state that's just letting people carry, um, you know, willy-nilly. But the fact is, as we said, is that this 
policy has been in place across the nation and other states and to great benefit in these states. You know, um, the three of the safest states in America, Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire are all constitutional carry states and have been for years. Um, we see in Arizona, since constitutional carry took place, that the number of people, even though they weren't required, seeking firearms training has doubled. So this is a policy that is making Americans safer. It's making gun owners happy. It's restoring constitutional rights that should never have been taken away in the first place. And I think that uh, Republican governors in every state are, you know, we have, I think, nine states that are considering, uh, nine more states that are considering adopting constitutional carry this year. So this is huge momentum. And, um, you know, the ball is rolling. And this is great news. Is there any fear that this will uh, sort of stoke um, crime rates to some degree or the next? I mean, just last week in Austin, Texas, we saw a mass shooting outside, you know, a popular strip of bars in the evening. It seems like even in states where uh, the gun laws are not nearly as permissive as uh, Texas or some of the other states you've mentioned, you know, uh, shootings are up. I mean, that that's certainly a trend that's going on across the country. It's unclear as to whether or not those are legal or illegal guns. But how would you respond to critics of um, the, the permitless carry law that is, you know, going into effect in Texas and elsewhere? I would say that uh, there is no evidence to support that constitutional carry um, makes states more violent. In fact, the opposite is true. If this, if they, if it did make states more violent, we wouldn't see 20 states already and nine more um, on the verge of passing this policy. Um, you look at places like Utah and Iowa, they just passed constitutional carry in recent months. And has there been an uptick in violence coming out of these states? Absolutely not. And, you know, we have examples of, you know, the, um, the top half of the top most uh, safest cities in America are also constitutional carry states. So you think about what gun control does. Uh, it does not deter criminals. I don't think a criminal would ever say, you know, I was going to carry out a mass shooting today, but I just couldn't, you know, pass a background check or I didn't have the right license to get a gun. The fact is, is that gun control does not deter criminals. All it does is deter law-abiding Americans who want to defend themselves. And it makes them sitting ducks um, and makes extra hoops and deters them from being able to defend themselves. So, um, you know, the logic just isn't there and the statistics aren't there either. Right. I mean, I think that that is, you know, a common refrain we hear from um, Second Amendment defenders like yourself. I, pivoting off of guns, I guess, slightly for a moment, one one aspect of this law in Texas is that it reduces, as you mentioned, licensing requirements for an important part of life to many. This is something that, you know, is a trend across many, many states, sort of just burdensome licensing requirements by the state and federal government. I mean, it's true for if you want to open a hair salon, a nail salon, all types of sort of massage and spa parlors, that you just have to get, uh, you know, an absurd amount of licenses from the federal government which costs people time and money and doesn't make it clear that anybody can actually do their job any better. Do you think that even uh, as it pertains not just to guns, but to, you know, all elements of American lives and livelihoods, this could begin, you know, a trend where fewer federal restrictions are put in place in a variety of places? We certainly hope so. I mean, imagine what that would do for small business owners. You think about the deterrence that they face. You know, they want to open a small business. They want to contribute to their community. They want to do positive things, make money for themselves, for their family, and give back. But the government just puts up these roadblocks. You know, it seems like every time you turn around, there's more paperwork, there's more requirements. And then 
uh, there's just these backlogs. The government is not super efficient, and um, <laughs> this is just time wasted, money wasted, and it's really ruining the lives of people who want to do good things and inhibiting us, not just in the firearm industry, but yeah, I mean, there's there's so many examples of this throughout the country. And if the government were to get out of the out of the way, trust us. Uh, you know, the government isn't even really good <laughs> as anybody who's ever been to I don't know the DMV or the mm-hmm. post office at um, you know enforcing these things or being efficient at them. Um, you look at the background check system. We have four firearms, another. A mandate and hoop that law-abiding gun owners have to jump through, and they, uh, in initial denials of people... Yeah, no, sorry, Teresa, we're running up against the clock right now, but it is interesting um, how many, you know, how many issues the, the federal government is in charge of. The Texas appears to be at the forefront of overturning. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Pastor Brian Gibson. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everyone. Yesterday, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops met and debated the idea of refusing communion to pro-choice politicians, most notably, of course, including President Joe Biden. This is not the first time President Biden has run into some issues pertaining to the intersection of his faith and his publicly progressive stance on a number of issues, though the Vatican did warn the American bishops earlier in the week to pump the brakes on any discussion of denying Biden communion due to his support of abortion rights. The bishops proceeded with their conversation anyhow, and it's clear that this issue isn't going away anytime soon. So to shed some more light on the ongoing debate, I want to bring in Pastor Brian Gibson. Pastor, good afternoon. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Sophie. And thank you for being here. So talk to us a little bit about what you see as the significant debate going on right now between, you know, the Catholic Church and, in essence, sort of the more fundamentalist wing of uh, American Christians and what Joe Biden represents as a Catholic in office. Yeah, Sophie, well, if you look at it, uh, Christianity is not a faith that you make up as you go. It is a received faith. That means we have a set of holy scriptures that have been delivered to us that we believe are divinely inspired. So you can't just change the doctrine. You can't just change the belief system as you go to meet your political agenda. Uh, The Catholic Church is facing a crisis right now, whether or not their theology will be set by their bishops, by their teaching, by their catechism, or by the politicians that have been elected in America. And let me say this, Joe Biden's stances politically and Pelosi's stances politically uh, are, are by no means Catholic, they're leftist. And if they allow them to keep redefining who they are as a church and who they are as a people, the faith that they've received and the faith that they've been for 2,000 years will be lost. I'm in agreement with the conservative bishops. If these people want to take these stances on uh, abortion, on same-sex unions, on all of these things that are not Catholic, they need to deny them the sacrament before they, they redefine what the Catholic faith is for them. So, I mean, I think that a lot of people are in agreement to, uh, with you, Pastor, but just to, to bring up some rebuttal points there, I mean, this is not the first time that a Democratic politician of the Catholic faith 
uh, has been denied or not denied communion. I mean, you know, Nancy Pelosi has been pro-abortion for many, many years. She's never been denied communion. It hasn't been an issue that's necessarily been brought up when past popes have come to the United States uh, to visit. It, it does seem like this is reaching a critical moment right now. What do you make of that? I mean, is there some reason that this debate is really raging now when in the past it hasn't been one that we've paid specific attention to? Yeah, I think it's a debate of worldview now. Uh, if you look, Barna just did a study, and they said that only 6% of America, 6% of America had a biblical worldview. So America's at a crisis point on their theology. And so with, with, with uh, withholding or releasing communion, the catechism in the Catholic faith, that is salvation. Their soteriology, or the way you're saved or not, it all comes down to the communion being distributed to you. Now, I don't believe that. I'm an evangelical, but that's their theology. So they see a breaking point where people are losing their Christian understanding, their Christian worldview. And I think it's, it's such a, uh, a more pressing issue now. While America has lost the school system to the leftists, now they're losing the churches to the leftists. Just uh, this week, the Southern Baptist denomination had a more leftist leader elected than it's ever had before that's kind of pushing more of a woke understanding of critical race theory and uh, some of the other issues. So uh, America's faith life is at a boiling point. And so leadership feels that and has the need to, response, uh, uh, to respond. Uh, of course, I believe Pelosi should have been denied the sacrament years and years ago. Uh, I think they didn't take enough action uh, early, and now it's coming home to roost. And this is a Trojan horse Christianity. It's not the real deal it's a fraud. They need to do something about it. Right. And so, I mean, Pastor, to what degree do you think uh, high profile, even politicians of a certain faith? I mean, Joe Biden is, of course, a Catholic, as is Nancy Pelosi. To what degree do you think it is actually politicians who set the standard of what American Catholics believe in and understand? I mean, you're saying that, you know, having these uh, figureheads not quite dealing with Catholicism in the way that they are supposed to, according to, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of tradition and ritual, uh, is really negatively impacting, again, American Catholics on the ground, do you really believe that it's American politicians sort of setting the standard for how Christians should behave? Well, yes. In a day with cancel culture, where if you are a leftist politician, you get a green light to say whatever you want. Me as a, a, even an evangelical pastor, been suspended. I get pushed off of these platforms. There's only certain news outlets that will hear my voice. But every day they're going to pump in Biden. They're going to pump in Pelosi. They're going to pump in the so-called Catholics that really aren't Catholic, they're using the church to further their political agenda. So yeah, it's becoming a theological crisis. Now, I do believe the bishops, the local pastors, and, and all of us, uh, including myself, have to take some responsibility on what we're teaching the church, right? Ultimately, it's our responsibility. But if we usher these people in, give them a seat of honor, and let them push non-Catholic, non-Christian policies on the American people, and don't speak out about it, we're giving them the green light to set the theology for the next generation. Right now, we have enough trouble. There is a new state religion in America. I'll tell you, it's uh, cathedrals and temples are our local schools, and they're teaching something that's so un ungodly and unbiblical. Uh, we, better, we better get loud. We better teach the people what the scriptures say. We better get serious about our faith, or it will be lost uh, largely in our nation. Right. And so very briefly, Pastor, we have just about a minute left. What do you make of the Vatican's decision to tell the United States bishops to ease off on this issue? 
Well, I, I think the uh, current pope and the Vatican right now has been soft on issues like this again and again and again. And he's made very strange comments throughout throughout the years that, that don't line up uh, with traditional Catholic uh, teachings and, and views. And so uh, I think the Vatican's made a mistake. Uh, the, the bishops on the ground know better than they know in Rome. I just believe that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Again, this doesn't seem to be a debate that's going away. Joe Biden continues to face uh, criticism. I especially see it in Christian outlets. Uh, this, Even if it doesn't quite permeate the mainstream media, I mean, we're trying to write that wrong. But, um, you know, it, it seems like it's going to continue to be a discussion. Pastor, thank you so much for weighing in on this. We always appreciate your time. Thank you, Sophie. Coming up, did you hear what President Joe Biden gave Russian President Vladimir Putin when they met yesterday? Stick around. The last sip is next, and we're going to go over it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everyone. Let's do our last sip. As we know, President Biden recently returned from his first overseas trip as the commander-in-chief of the nation, he attended the G7 summit, met with the queen, and confabbed one-on-one -on -one with Russian President Vladimir Putin. As is customary when two leaders meet, small tokens of appreciation and mutual respect are typically exchanged. Side note, I honestly think that's probably the best job in government, being the person responsible for choosing the small but heavily symbolic tokens that world leaders exchange before sometimes tense meetings. But let's get into what Biden gave Putin, aside, of course, from the North Nord Stream 2 pipeline ahead of the summit. The U.S. leader gave the Russian president a crystal sculpture of the American bison, which represents strength, unity, and resilience. Depending on where you are in the country, they could also serve as a roadblock if you happen to get stuck on the wrong side of a herd's traffic pattern. The bison has been the national mammal of the United States since 2016 when President Barack Obama signed the National Bison Legacy Act into law. Biden also gave Vladimir Putin a pair of custom aviator sunglasses made by Randolph USA, an American company that has provided pairs of them for the U.S. military and its NATO allies. Of course, the president is also often seen donning his own pair of aviators. He typically goes with a pair of classic Ray-Bans and, in fact, broke royal protocol over the weekend when he kept his classic pair of sunnies on to meet the queen face to face. To Boris Johnson, the president delivered a custom bicycle and in return was given a photograph of a mural of Frederick Douglass. We're not sure yet what, if anything, Putin gave Biden as a gift, which uh, to some could be interpreted as emblematic of the Biden foreign policy stance on Russia, but who knows? We'll see with that one. Uh, at the water cooler, we do want to know how you rate the gifts Biden handed to world leaders this weekend, and if you think you could have chosen better ones. Make sure to tweet at David Brody, or I suppose at me if you want, and let us know your thoughts. That's our last sip, and uh, we'll be right back in just a few minutes. But first, I want to remind everybody that uh, this upcoming Monday, June 21st at 3 p.m., the usual time, David will be sitting down with former President Donald Trump to discuss all the news that you can use about uh, the former president, his plan moving into 2022, and everything else that's on both of their minds at the time. So again, June 21st, that's this upcoming Monday, 
3 p.m. Definitely don't miss it. Tune in Monday for an exclusive interview with former President Donald Trump. Don't miss Donald Trump on Water Cooler with David Brody, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Let's wrap with some news from our Just the News news editor. Let's say news one more time. It's Joe Weber. Hey, Joe. Hi, Sophie. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So uh, what's the latest? Oh, there's some interesting stories, at least one out of the FEC uh, today, were actually documents, unsealed documents released from an April ruling in which uh, Matthew Whitaker, I think you remember him as a former prosecutor and acting attorney general in the Trump administration and a Trump supporter. He filed this complaint asking the FEC to look into this idea that the DNC and its consultant by the name of Alexander Chalupa had asked the Ukraine embassy for basically opposition researcher dirt on Paul Manafort, who, as you know, is one of the 2016 Trump campaign managers. Whitaker said that that uh, equates to the idea that they were soliciting, you know, in exchange uh, campaign donations. Now, the FEC, a lawyer was wanting, wanting to go forward with this, but the FEC ruled four to two with three Republican appointees saying no, that just because they asked the embassy doesn't necessarily mean there was a quid pro quo for, for donations. So it's a surprise that there's three board members in a 4-2 ruling uh, sided against that. That's interesting. Must have been a compelling case. Okay, I hear there's one more story um, about uh, some some political leadership we're going to be having to deal with here in D.C. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, in Washington here, a D.C. inmate, 44 uh, year old uh, James Colton, he got appointed to the D.C. Council's um, advisory committee, which is sort of a subcommittee for the main council. Mm-hmm. And this is um, this. Largely, it's for Ward 7 over in the other side of the Anacostia, largely unknown. The seat's been unfilled for decades. So it was helped with an advocacy group for um, inmates. He got in there, and now he's going to be um, an elected member Hmm. of council. That's interesting. Any precedent for that? Do we usually have inmates uh, on our city government? It's the first time I've ever heard of it. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's probably true for a lot of us. All right, Joe, well, thanks so much. Uh, There's been so much breaking news today. Everyone, go check it out. Joe and his team are absolutely killing it over at justthenews.com. We'll talk to you later, Joe. Thank you. That just about does it for this edition of The Water Cooler. Thanks so much for tuning in and watching me for a second time today. Uh, We'll give you a break from that tomorrow. Miranda Khan will be back. And then um, if David's not back next week, I'm going to give out his personal cell phone number. So I hope he is. Uh, David, I hope you're enjoying whatever you're doing right now. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait.
Auto Trader.